Hello and welcome to the Reinventing Education Winter or Christmas Special, kind of. I'm your host, Brendan O'Leary, and I'll be joined very soon by my co-host, Rob McLeod. We decided that what better time than the end of the year to kind of look at how the three different types of schools are defined. So we talk a lot about the traditional, mainstream and progressive school. But what are the key words that would help us to identify if we were in or approaching one of these types of educational establishments? We invited our friends, Miriam Binder Lang, who is an integral coach, and elementary school principal Dwayne Primo, who's featured on the show a few times and is a colleague of mine. If you'd like to play along, grab a pencil and paper and pause the episode at the appropriate moment and note down your 10 words that define a traditional, mainstream or progressive school. We had a lot of fun making the episode and we really hope you enjoy it. And we'd love to hear your 10 words that define a traditional, mainstream or progressive school. All right. So here are some of the subtle clues or cues I've kind of picked up from being in a traditional uh, environment, whether that's in traditional leaning school or being around parents, staff, children who kind of have a preference towards these more traditional values. Here are my 10 words, and I'll, I'll try to keep it short. I will try not to add too much, but I'll give a little bit of context for why I chose each. Number one, doing. So often we hear the words, we are doing, my class is doing, we are doing, and then the name of the topic or the large general theme. Number two, confusing in relationship to not wanting things to be confusing. And as soon as there's something that they're not so into, there's a bit of resistance to the labeling of that thing as being confusing. So, oh no, we don't want that because that'll be too confusing for the students, for the parents, etc. Threat was number three. So the sense that anything potentially could be turned into a threat, in particular, a threat towards the master's mastery or authority, for sure. And I would say most typically, the concern is that parents would become a threat. So that word threat gets thrown around a bit. Um, in the class, I realize it's three words, but that's my fourth one. In the class or in relationship to the group. So typically, I just finished up parent-teacher interviews a few weeks ago. And uh, often, I've noticed that the traditional leaning parents will ask the question, how is my kid doing in relationship to the class? Where are they in the class? So there's that focus that my child is not an independent autonomous thing. They are part of this group and I need to know how they're doing in relationship to that group. What are we up to? Five. Number five, humbling. So I think this can have a positive or a negative context depending on the situation. But I think there is a really beautiful sense of this idea of like humbling yourself before the master and acknowledging that, oh, actually there is a long way I still have to go uh, to becoming a master and having some kind of accurate sense of your place as a student. Um, the negative side of that could be the humbling of kind of like, you know, know your role, know your place in the school. Perhaps we're not on equal footing in terms of being able to have a discussion, those sorts of things. So humbling. Next one, fragile. And I, I was careful to choose this one because I don't think you would hear from a traditional leaning colleague or parent that they feel fragile, but kind of back to that idea of threat. Uh, there is a need to constantly feel a sense to defend what you're doing or rather uphold the values of what someone is doing. 
and certainly needing to uphold the appearances. And I don't mean that in the false way of pretending to do something you're not doing, but making sure that folks see it. And I've, I've heard this, uh, from multiple teachers I've worked with from Canada, from Germany, now Belgium, this idea that like, oh, I need to make sure the parents see this so that they know this is happening. And there's this real need um, to uphold um, this image, which I, I feel feels as though it's fragile and, and needs that reinforcement. Uh, I feel this one's the most obvious and maybe O'Leary's got this on his list for me, but right. So literally the sense of I'm doing what's right and the thing I'm doing is right. And that's from bottom to top, student all the way up to teachers, administration, parents, etc. The thing I'm doing is right. If there's something in contrast to that, it's likely not as right or most likely wrong. I've got something right here. Uh, here's my fun one. Garlic. Garlic is on my list. I figured O'Leary wouldn't get this one. And uh, I put it on because I heard a recent, recent anecdote, and perhaps this connects back to the fragile and the threatening. Um, but it was a colleague of mine who was comparing their experience with parent-teacher and Views with a previous colleagues from another school, not uh, anyone that I know. But they said, the, the colleague I work with now, they said, oh, you know, parent-teacher interviews are usually the highlight of my year because it's a chance to connect with the parents, celebrate, you know, successes of the kids. And, you know, most of the time it's a really positive experience. And he had said, I worked with a colleague though who hated them and said he would lose sleep for weeks coming up to it. And his strategy was to keep them short. He would go to the Greek restaurant on the other side of town before the meetings and load up on every dish that maximized the quantity of garlics. He would have a garlicky appetizer, garlicky main dish, get the garlic bread so that when the parents got in the room, they didn't want to stick around. For very long because um, he just detested the idea of having to like be in contact with the parents. So I just thought that was my fun wildcard one. Uh, number nine, group gathering. And to me, this is one of the most positive components of the uh, traditional leaning kind of social structure. Just this real emphasis on the importance of the ability to gather in groups, whether it's school barbecues, uh, field trips where it's opened up to more parents typically than may happen in the other two types of schools, excuses for parties, celebrations, nights, like parents' night, grade four night, these kinds of things. And just this real value of it's important for us to be together in a group. And finally, number 10, downtime. And I've noted this, noticed this in particular in field trips. And what's interesting to me is I've found that traditional leaning field trips tend to have the largest stretches of kind of unstructured downtime where you're actually just allowed to be yourself and there aren't a million activities planned in throughout the day or throughout the mid-morning or whatever, where there's actually this stretch of time where you can just have some time to yourself. And I also think there is this idea um, that you need downtime. You need rest and relaxation. You shouldn't be filling your time outside of school with school. You should have school. You should have family. You should have your time, work time, time to do your duty, time off duty. So this idea of downtime. So doing, confusing, threat in the class, humbling, fragile, right, garlic, group gatherings and downtime. So our idea now is to open up the floor to the three of you and to choose uh, which one you found most interesting or most accurate. Yeah, for me, that was humbling. Um, that just 
gave me a very um, lovely sense of um, surrendering to something bigger in a way. And um, so that, that just gave me a really lovely sense of how it can how it can be to be in a in a in a group setting and in that kind of environment and and a humbling without any brutality in it so that's how it came across for me mm, brendan yeah i had two so the confusing one we've talked about a lot of um where, when something is it, 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 you hear you hear it all the time of like oh it might be confusing for the kids or i was confused and, and it really means that although interestingly in japanese culture versus kind of uh, english culture um it, it is up to the person speaking to make sure they are understood versus in english culture or north american i would say is it's up to us to make sure we understand what's being said and so the thing is that being afraid of being misunderstood or saying something confusing i think holds much more weight in it in a traditional kind of culture potentially and i could go on about the downtime as well we've talked about this a lot and the um where duty ends when duty's finished then you get all of this downtime and, they, and the, the, the trick is to define where your duty is. And then, you, you know, you ha- once your duty is done, you have this downtime. And it is really, a, uh, it can be a really nice element of traditional education or culture. Cool. And Dwayne, any words or ideas that jumped out to you the most? Actually, it was confusing and humble. So uh, I guess for the confusing bit, I, w- I was actually kind of focused on the negative part about um, how if a child is confused and they don't know what's going on, the best solution is just to repeat the exact same thing you did and repeat it again and again and and hoping eventually the same instruction will help them figure it out, which is, I've seen that many a times. Uh, the humbling part was good. I liked, uh, the humbling was quite interesting to me because I think about uh, a comic I saw lately and uh, how education's changed. And so back in the traditional mindset, it would be parent-teacher conference and it would be talking about what the child is doing wrong. And the child's uh, and the child needs to listen, and they need to listen to the instructor who's going to give them all of that knowledge. But then going to the other spectrum, more of I guess the progressive school, it's really about how the teacher needs to support that child, and so that kind of parent-teacher uh, dynamics changed a lot. Thank you for that. All right. I feel we're doing incredibly well for time. I did my best to not ramble on and uh, thanks for your concise uh, reflection. So yeah, the humbling sounds like the big one and the confusing and downtime. Cool. Thanks, guys. Uh, I'd like to invite Brendan. Brendan, can you share your traditional top 10? I can. There's not a lot of crossover, interestingly, although my first one, which is proper, um, is, I guess, close to your idea of right. You know, there there is the the right way to do it. And again, um, in, in Japanese culture, the idea of chanto, this word chanto, of doing things properly. I'm sure Dwayne hears that all the time. I do. Do it right. Do it properly. And it's it's true. You, know, you should do things properly. And uh, I don't always, uh, I don't always adhere to that. And then, of course, again, it's taken to, to um, uh, taken, if you look at things like the tea ceremony, where every single element has a proper way to do things. And this is like the, the very end of this mastery kind of process. Our second was behaviorist, which is, you know, there's a lot of focus in terms of education on these behaviorist theories of 
um, responses and uh, kind of setting up systems and, and ideas within your class and so that um, we can get everybody on the same page at the same time or we can respond to everybody's um, group kind of uh, needs. And I know what you said about the group, I think, is, is really important. And, um, you know, behaviorism is seen often quite negatively now in the 21st century. It's seen as a Pavlovian response or, you know, kind of like just filling up the empty vessel with information kind of idea. But I still see behaviorist, um, behaviorist techniques used really well around our school all the time. You know, even the kind of clap, the call and response clap, dun, 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 and the kids will shout back or you, uh, whatever it is, that there's always a call and response with kids. Those are all behaviorist techniques to have people move around quickly and, and uh, respond quickly. Um, common sense, of course, why wouldn't you follow common sense? And it's common and it's sensible. And we all know it. We don't need to write it down. Why do we need to write this down? We all know it. Uh, shame, both in its positive and negative. And the, the positive of like, oh, it's a shame that we can't do this. There's lots of things in traditional culture that's just, they're off limits. It'd be nice to be able to do it, but oh, it's a shame. And then in the negative kind of sense of there is a lot of calling out and blame calling in some particular elements of, of um traditional culture when it's kind of unhealthy you know the healthy side is very respectful and, and harmonious but there you know there are areas where uh, shame is used to you know ha make things happen and uh, in the bad old days in school you'll see you know victorian schools where shame is used with the dunce's cap sitting in the corner because you didn't get all 10 out of 10 on your spelling test Safety. I threw this in. It's the it's the obvious, most obvious one that we talk about all the time in traditional. Um, and we had this great chat with Mark last week about play based learning and safety came up over and over again. And safety is key. And it, but of course it is. If we if we're not if you go look at, at Maslow's hierarchy, if we're if not safe, we're not going to really achieve our highest potential if we're if we're, if our lower more basic needs are not taken care of. Um, discipline again in both its positive and negative connotations positive as in you know self-discipline and doing what's right and you know being an upstanding citizen and and taking care of yourself and good posture and everything like that and then in its negative of basically physical punishment for people that step out of line and the old adage of the nail that's sticking out will be hammered down um conviction it was uh, our your, our shared friend and a good friend of yours, Lenny McLeod, who pointed out that the blue, the traditional, is driven by a deep moral, deep gut conviction to things that are right. And I, I, that, for me, was a revelation. It's quite recent, probably only a year ago. And I was like, ah, yeah, it's like logic will only go too far against someone who is driven by this intense conviction. And then moral, I think morals are pretty easy when we talk a lot about uh, the morality and the values and the shared kind of um, need for doing what's right because that provides that stability. Lineage was the one I was sure you're going to say, Rob. So I put heritage in brackets so I could switch it out at the last second. But lineage, that idea in a traditional school of looking back at what we did a year ago, 10 years ago, a thousand years ago in some universities and schools let's continue that proud tradition i watched the movie if last week which is a late 60s uh, movie with malcolm mcdowell in where 
basically it's a satire of English, what we call public schools, which are private schools, confusingly. And he essentially loses it and again takes over the school and imagines uh, essentially doing some not very good behavior towards the end of it. And the final one, I thought I'd throw in a nice one. Again, it refers back to what we hear in Japanese culture a lot, the notion of harmony, uh, traditional education, traditional society, when it's done well, is harmonious. Now, of course, that does mean that maybe there's not a lot of scope for standing up when you feel something's not right. But when things are right and you've got a, a, a hierarchy or a community that's working really well, then that harmony is um, is definitely there. And I sense that in, in really important in Japanese culture. Um, so those are my 10 proper behaviorist common sense, shame, safety, discipline, conviction, moral, lineage, and harmony. Dwayne, I'd like to invite you first to uh, say if any of those words jumped out at you. I think the harmony jumps out the most to me because, uh, you know, being in Japan and a lot of Asia, it's about everybody doing the same thing. And um, I guess going back to uh, looking at some of the things I see happening in Japanese education. So, for example, they have these, these things. They're called line marching. And what they do is they have the kids march up and down in these lines. And they can walk directly across each other without ever hitting each other. And it's this perfect harmony that they practice so much for this 30 seconds of doing this line marching. And so parents are like, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. And, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that, that's, there's a lot of practice there and there's some skill, but I wonder how many hours they had to practice for that 30 seconds of fame. So there's that harmony of everybody doing the same thing, which is interesting to me. But then going back the other way, I'm thinking about, could have that time be used for something else? Foreshadowing for what's coming in the, the mainstream ones, I think, on our list. <laughs> for me, uh, the, the one that jumped out, and I, I am actually somewhat shocked I didn't include it, was the conviction. And I think compared to a mainstream <clears throat> or progressive leaning teacher, I think more times than not, if there is a disagreement, you would experience like the strongest conviction, the strongest confidence in a traditional leaning parent, teacher, student, administrator, really standing by um, what they're about. Whereas I would say more or less the mainstream's looking for, I'm willing to drop everything if you can convince me of something else that's going to be more effective or better or new, even better yet, the new better thing. But there is that real moral conviction uh, that I do appreciate and can find frustrating at times, but I appreciate that exists within that uh, traditional leaning heart. Miriam? Um, for me, what resonated is lineage um, because it feels like this is something that that um, we want to include and, and transcend. And um, and in a, in a real traditional environment, like in martial arts or even in our coaching school, Rob, um, there is a, a preciousness to knowing your lineage and that whatever you, you learn is kind of unpolluted. So that just really resonated for me as you were saying that. I really like that. Yeah. Something unpolluted. So don't you be the one to come and taint it now. Be humble. I like that. Miriam, could I invite you to share your list of 10 for the traditional? Yes. And so my, obviously my, my perspective is a little bit different because um, when I was reflecting on those, it's as a coach noticing um, these, um, these stages, if you like, in my clients and also in my clients' topics. And then there is a, an awful lot of my own schooling that, that got stirred up when I was thinking of that. And so 
Um, I'm celebrating mostly what, all the positive things that you were saying, and I'm noticing that some of mine might be a little bit less positive due to my experience of a dyslexic, non-diagnosed child in school. So the first one for me is loyalty, being loyal to the group. And the second one is right and wrong. This, you know, kind of in and out, one right way that, that we have here. The third one is also mastery. And it feels like there is an absolute mastery of something that is possible in that environment. The fourth one is simplicity and clarity, which, which feels a lot like the confusion you were naming. So the absence of confusion, we can be really clear about, about what we're doing here. We're filtering what's getting in and what's not getting in. The fifth one is belonging. When, we, when you do what we do here, you can belong to a group. So you can shape your identity by being in the group, but also your identity or your sense of identity can get quite a hit if you're not belonging to the group. Then number six is norming. There is a clear norm of what's expected in the group and also what is abnormal. Then harmony. If we're all doing the same things, yes, then there is harmony. And, we're, and also harmony for me, there is a sense of absence of disruption. So there is, you're not rocking the boat. You are not expected to ask questions that could disrupt the harmony. Then as you just already said, morals was part of it for me. Um, and tradition. So that's, that's an absolute positive that kind of feels a little bit like the lineage. But so many of the traditions that we have um, contribute to, to a, a sense of even of being a family. For example, the way we celebrate Christmas together um, cr creates us as a family, defines us as a family or as a group. And then the last one is limiting. That is probably my strongest experience of being constantly limited in my expression um, by what was okay and not okay in this environment. So there is the, the absence of of personal freedom to make radical decisions without being an out outcast. So my 10 are loyalty, right, mastery, simplicity, belonging, norming, harmony, morals, traditions, and limiting. I'll hop in. I instantly mastery jumped out because it's like, yeah, I feel traditional more than any of them. One of the gifts of it is that idea to, well, focus on one thing intensely and to become masterful at it. Whereas maybe mainstream pushes this idea of it's better to be a jack of all trades and to be as good as you can at many things, which can be at the expense of mastery. But the one I think that hit me the most was just you mentioning the Christmas traditions and that idea of that doing these things is what brings forth who we are, which I think ties so many of those threads together, the lineage, the, the, the history, all of these things. It's that idea of it's the doing of these things that brings forth who we are, um, which I really like. And to some degree, it's like you're a part of this. It's not just up to you to randomly pick and choose from the buffet of everything for what you want to do, but you can be part of something bigger by uh, engaging with these traditions or these activities. Dwayne, can I invite you? Thank you. Uh you know, it's being close to Christmas and thinking about traditions and trying to compare traditions with, you know, my Canadian traditions with Japanese traditions and just the way things are done. I like the traditional bit because I didn't think about that before and how those traditions are important and we can kind of lean on them because of uh, they kind of give us an idea of who we are. But then also thinking about the tradition is that it's always been done this way. So we must do it this way without any rhyme or reason. Thanks, Rob. 
yeah, very interesting list. Thanks. Um, and I like the uh, the uh, the kind of duality of the limiting and the belonging. You're, you, you, there's no half measure. You, you, if you're if you want to belong to our group, you can really belong. You can be in, but that will put limits on what you can do. And if you cross those limits, then you might find yourself out, and that's not good. And I experienced this. When I was in Germany my first year, and I had a few issues with parents for a little while until I realized that it was about trust. It wasn't about logic. I went back to my default of logic, and it was about what I'm saying is logical, fine. And they understand it, and they're smart people, and they're nice people, but I'm just not connecting. And then the trust just clicked at one point. They re I realized that they, they now trusted me with their kids. And from that point on, everything else made uh, worked uh, so much better, and I had a, a much better relationship. But I am going to jump into the mastery because I think, in terms of our podcast, I think as when we we started to play around with the idea of the relationship between teacher and student, and we said it's master and apprentice is the model that this kind of blue traditional school might work best for. Um, it's hard to do because it's not really set up for mastery in a specific thing like a guild was in the, a medieval guild where you're going to be an apprentice and build a, you know, become a goldsmith or whatever. But still the same kind of model. You stick with us and we're going to make you a master in, in this area. And uh, that's very different from the coach kind of model that we that we uh, posit comes in later with mainstream and then into a counseling model, even when you get into more progressive schools. So, yeah, very key, those ideas. Cool. Dwayne, can we invite you to share your 10 list? Thank you. So I'm actually going to start off with trust. So the idea is, and belief is, I'm not sure if they're kind of, can I, I think they're the same, but I, I was just kind of thinking about this. Trust and belief, you know, and the idea behind this is I'm the master. So you need to trust me. And uh, if you're a parent, you need to trust me. I know best. I can teach your child what they need. The next one after that is safety. And uh, I connect that as it's always been done this way. And so people feel safe. And when everybody's doing the same thing, it feels safe. And I kind of connect this to uh, COVID. You know, in, in Japan, uh, everybody just wears a mask because that's what's always been done. And it's actually saved Japan. You know, the numbers have gone down a lot. And that's a big cultural thing is that kind of safety connected to the trust. Uh, and so then my next word after that would be uniform. You know, everything's just kind of done the same. There is no change. There's no difference. It's got to be uniform. So, for example, when kids learn to write their kanji in Japan, the culture said that it goes, the stroke goes one, two, three, four, and it's got to be in this little box. So everything's got to be uniform and there can't be any changes. And hierarchy, you know, the idea that there's in Japan and in Asia, going back to this, and in Canada too, you know, you have that if someone's been in the role for longer than you, you need to kind of listen because they know more. And this kind of connects back to that master thing again. And uh, the next one is memorization. So the idea that the content doesn't really allow for thinking outside of the box. Everything's very limited. And this kind of goes back to that idea that everybody does the same. And the way they can do that is everybody has to memorize something in the exact same way. And for someone who's in that system, I think it's probably pretty efficient. You know the rules. You know what's going to happen, right? It's not going to change. So you're always going to go back to that system. You know that's the way it is. So for example, um, my wife teaches me how to wring out a towel. And there's a special technique on to how to wring out a towel. And you need to do that 
in the same way. And everybody does it in the exact same way because that is the best way. Uh, it's predictable. I think this kind of education is predictable because you did it, your parents have done it and their parents have done it. So when you want to ask questions about it, you can always go back to grandpa or grandpa's grandpa and it'll always be the same. Legacy. So with the legacy is you're learning from the past and traditions. And this is going to be the same throughout. And the other one I wanted to put in is kind of like high context, uh, connecting to the culture that there's a lot of things that go on in the background and you're expected to really just, if you don't get all of those ideas, you need to just believe in the system. And so those are my words. Thank you, Duane. Oh, I really like that last one. You've caught me off guard because I was already like, oh yeah, the uniform, that's what I'm going with. But that high context, I feel that is so important because it's like what's, what's right and traditional in one land might run in the face of what's right and traditional in another place. And as someone who's jumped and half integrated in at least two different countries, lived in three different countries, I, I definitely can sense that for sure. But I will just throw in what I was going to say about the uniform. And this goes back to Miriam's comment about the lineage, in particular, when you think of something like a martial arts or a coaching. Um, I remember this would have been 10, 15 years ago when I did my first uh, 10 day Vipassana meditation retreat, which they they say is the original form of meditation that the Buddha, the Buddha had practiced. And so the idea is that there's been this 2000 plus year unbroken lineage of these are the instructions and you don't add or take away from them. These are the instructions. And I remember at the time being like, okay, yeah, I get it. And we're supposed to do this and all that. And there was some part of me that just wanted to bring something new to it. Like, cool, let's take that. And you know, let's put a little 2005 spin on it. And it's like, well, if everyone had done that for the last 2000 years, who knows how insanely distorted this very simple practice would have become um, over time. So that being one of the beauties, that idea of something being untainted, like here is the thing, don't mess it up and make sure it's in as good of condition when you pass it on to the next people, because this is valuable. We figured something out, make sure the next generation gets to benefit from this. Uh, because the people who didn't have this thing, and I'm not just speaking to meditation, fill in the blank for whatever it is the culture has produced. There's this idea of the people who didn't have this were worse off. This is important. We figured this out. Make sure this gets passed on and the next folks benefit the same way you got to benefit from it and don't taint it. Um, so there, to me, that's where the wisdom is in it. Uh, Brendan. So I'm going to bring up uniform um, in the sense of a school uniform because there's part of it as well, right? You know, and then this is something we, in every school I've been in, we've had the discussion. We've done an episode already on uniform. There'll be more, you know. The idea of how it's justified and often in a traditional school, it is about that sense of belonging. It is about that sense of being on the same team. And so traditional parents are often, you know, they're, they're the ones that keep coming back and asking if we can reintroduce a uniform, but it, they don't actually always, I, I've never heard any parent use that particularly they can say so everyone looks neat or so so everyone um you know it's, it saves on your washing it saves on whatever it saves money or whatever but when you dig deeper into it, in the context it is that sense of belonging and and i think that's the strongest argument it's like we, we want to build that spirit and that pride and you do kind of hear it i alluded to but i think pride and spirit is a word that hasn't popped up yet but is very very deeply ingrained in um 
traditional culture? Miriam? Yeah, for me, pretty much the same. Um, the way I took the uniform is that when we're all looking the same, and I'm thinking of my Zen practice also, um, then we, we don't need to bother with what's obvious because everything's the same. We can focus on the nuances, um, which, which is a big gift of simplification and, and reducing it um, to those things that matter. That's a perfect segue into the endless reinventing of the wheel that shows up in mainstream or, or the more orange culture. Cool. Shall I go with my mainstream coach athlete top 10 list? So we've finished with the, the traditional, the master apprentice. Now we're moving into the mainstream coach athlete. And my 10 words for the mainstream coach athlete are learning to. So I said in traditional, we often hear we are doing X. In the mainstream, typically I hear the terms we are learning to. And there's even this emphasis on teaching and learning. So that word learning uh, gets in there and it shifts from that group to the idea of students. So the students are learning to this, not we, the students are learning to do this. The word waste or an emphasis on what is a waste begins to show up. And I think this is that honing into what's efficient and what's effective about what we're doing. And there's a desire to find what is a waste and get rid of the stuff that is a waste for the sake of efficiency and effectiveness. I toyed with a few different words, but I've decided to go with overwhelmed. So this idea that you don't have a solid ground to stand on. It's like what you're doing now is as good enough as it can be now, but you know it's going to be replaced by something else. And there is this idea that we're always trying to find your zone of proximal development and trying to move you on to the next thing. But if we're going to lean one way, we're more likely to try and push you too far than we are to not give you enough. Uh, and this idea of stress and overwhelm coming in. And in particular, I would say it's more of my mainstream leaning colleagues who will talk about being overwhelmed or how much is, is going on. Uh, actionable is my next one. So when talking about what needs to go on, typically general statements aren't used as much as like individual focused, hyper-specific, actionable things that can be done. So actionable. Pushing. So if there's the idea in traditional of sort of like that humbling and the idea of you need to like lower yourself in mainstream, I would say it's more about pushing yourself to do more. Excelling, you know, your best is what we want from you and your best is what we're always going to expect from you. Nothing less. So there's this sense of pushing. I would also say this idea of advertising or even the idea of teachers in particular, but even students to some degree being a brand. And this idea that each teacher in a mainstream school is almost trying to sell themselves in some way as like a competent brand to get behind. And you don't instantly have that trust from parents. A lot of it's there, but you need to sell people on these things um, to gain that confidence or that uh, consumer consumer confidence, perhaps. My next word is next. So there's always this discussion of what's next. There's what we've done now, but we're never going to rest on our laurels. There's always the next thing coming. And if here's the way we're teaching math now, you can nearly be guaranteed in three years, the pendulum is going to swing almost the opposite way. And the next new thing is to do this or, oh, you've been organizing your reading program this way. I just went to a conference. I just got PD on this thing. Here's the next new thing with new research behind it. We're going to do this 
this now. So next, the idea of report. Now, of course, reports show up in all three types of these schools, but I'm using the idea of report as in like a quarterly report. So the idea that on every level, students, teachers, administration, everyone's kind of like got this kind of like, okay, how have we done this quarter? Where are your grades at? Where are your goals or your student achievement at now? Where is the school's overall whatever going? What are projections moving forward? This idea of needing to report and provide objective or actionable data versus maybe the more traditional kind of feeling of how things are going in the overall consensus. Appointments. Um, this is one of the things I feel we lose moving from traditional to mainstream. Some of those big group social gatherings disappear. The kind of pointless barbecue at the start of the year goes away because it wasn't tied to something specifically school related. And the idea more like if we need to interact, it's probably going to happen either one on one or in a very small closed meeting. Typically, the kind of social interactions limit to smaller groups or even just one on one. And the idea of something special, and I tied this back a little bit to thinking about the field trips, but this also goes for the pedagogy. It's sort of the Pinterestification of education that it's like, not only do you need to do the new good best thing, but also you need your own personal spin it on it or that little extra touch or that little something special. Or if you're going on a field trip here, you need to make sure you hit these three things because the group last year didn't. And that would make your trip better than whatever, just this perpetual need to find something special, special, which I'm partly, I guess, presenting in a somewhat negative sounding way. But at the same time, let's be honest, kids and everybody likes something special, something unique, something attention grabbing. And let's be honest, oftentimes those are the things that do stick with us uh, as time moves on. So learning to waste, overwhelmed, actionable, pushing, advertising, next, report, appointments, and something special. Uh, Dwayne, you have the biggest smile on the screen, so I'll invite you to go first. Thanks, Rob. Uh, I love the brand thing and the selling and the advertisement because it's when parents come in, it's why should we choose your school? Because we're doing the greatest thing. And we have the most efficient way to teach your child that if your child comes here, they're going to have free choice and they're going to learn very quickly. And it's interesting because there's this uh, preschool beside our school and literally in their advertisement, they talk about how they can jam three years of curriculum into your child's mind when they're three years old. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's a great sales pitch. So uh, I thought that really stuck with me. And also looking at in the international circuit, comparisons are parents come in and they're so what makes your school different? And you know, everybody has their own story. So a brand really stuck with me. Oh, thank you. Miriam, you had the second largest smile from the list. Well, I, I just felt like you've, you know, you've read my mind when you said waste. So that um, immediately brought a sense of guilt um, that that is, you know, part of the way I, I may think of parts of my day. Um, but what I really liked was, was the something special um, because it's something I didn't notice, but it's certainly very true for, for what I experienced, not in mainstream school, but in my, in my 20 years of corporate life. In sorry, in your, in my 20 years of corporate life. In 20 in, years uh, of corporate life. Yeah. Mm. And, and that was pretty much unconscious, but it's, it's going on all the time. So I really like that. Can you give me one glimpse in? Cause that's interesting. You're connecting that to the corporate world. Well, well you know, that sometimes it's just, if, if you're looking for a career, what makes you special? What makes you stand out from the other candidates or, or, you know, um, even in a quite misogynist 
environment, it can be an advantage to be a woman because everyone recognizes you because you're the only of your kind in the room. Thank you. And Brendan, you had a small smirk, but not not even quite a smile. The third biggest smile in the room. It's my catchphrase. (laughs) (laughs) That's what makes you special. I liked Overwhelmed because I think... Orange and mainstream is the land of opportunity, not necessarily in school, which is weird because when you're thinking about it, you know, we talk about in, in the in the wider world, this kind of, be, you know, adding something special or having your brand or being unique. You know, we've talked about this before that actually some of that is kind of compromised so that school can be efficient and effective. And that's kind of how schools have, they've, they've taken it. They, um, they've taken that bargain. But in the wider world, and especially when you get into leadership of schools, there's so many opportunities. There's so many ways you can go. Um, myself and Dwayne and Steve, our uh, VP, all of our meetings about what we could do and how is how are we going to you know pay for this and get the the staff in and pre- professional development and and development of the playground that we talked about last week and it's a world of opportunity. I almost put oyster in as one of mine spoiler because. The mainstream school, mainstream life is that life of global capitalist. And yeah, it can be overwhelming. It is, there can be so much choice. So it can be actually like stifling or it can, it can make you second guess everything because you don't know. But then it kind of balances with this evidence idea as well. But um, yes, overwhelm is a great choice. Thank you. Uh, to mix up the order, Miriam, would you like to go next with your list of 10 things yes. connected to the orange and mainstream? Yeah, so the orange and mainstream is is a lot related, um, as I just said, to my corporate life experience and also to coaching clients who are very much in their in their career. So what I feel is what I'm, you know, what I'm hearing a lot when I'm talking to to clients in in this kind of mainstream world, um, everything is logical. Um, money or or any other material things are are highly valued as a sign of of success. Um, I also sense that there is quite a bit of competition, um, which might relate to the, something special, better as. And then efficiency is really valued in order not to produce waste in order to get to, to, to the, to your target, um, most quickly and, and also in a way that saves you your own resources. Almost like, you know, my lifetime's limited. So let's be efficient getting as far as I can in this lifetime. Um, also cognitive intelligence is really highly valued. Um, whereas in the traditional, I think this can sometimes be quite disruptive here. It's quite welcome. And then speaking in terms of what are my objectives, like breaking down what I do into objectives that are tangible, um, smart. Um, and then the next one is strategy, which is kind of the, the overarching, where do I want to get to? And, and everything's kind of oriented um, towards that strategic plan that I have for my life, for my kids, for my, um, for my family. Another one that definitely was very true for me and I highly appreciate it was independence. Kind of a f- freedom as long as it works, as long as you're um, successful and legal, you can pretty much do what you want. Um, and also there is structure, but you're basically continuously creating and, and shaping structure and system. And the last one is hero, um, you know, being there is an image of, of strength, almost like the, the ideal of Iron Man. You, you can run fast and far and um, which is idealized for me in this kind of a system. 
So shall I repeat them? Please. It's logics, material goods, competition, efficiency, intelligence, objectives, strategy, independence, creating structure and system, and hero. Hmm. I'm going to hop in there. I really like hero, but I could see Brennan's smile, and I'm going to just assume that he's going to hop in on that, knowing his love of heroes. Um, and the second, the one that jumped out to me the most, uh, or the second most was that idea of material. If I was to compare everything we were just talking about with the traditional approach, there's this sort of like felt sense of belonging. There's this sort of immaterial sensing of things. Whereas when we shift into this mainstream school, yeah, it's got to be material. You got to see these things. Material results are what matter the most. And what we're doing needs to translate into actual things you will see in the world as a opposed to things that that you've been felting and you've been feeling which I could I could sense was uh the big difference between those two thank you Brendan I'm curious if my hero assumption was correct yeah I circled two I circled efficiency and a hero efficiency in this sense of uh, without the balance with the balance efficiency and effectiveness you know that they, they it's the perfect it's the perfect way to meet those goals should you have those aims and objectives but we've talked a lot about how in the mainstream school, sometimes efficiency wins out over uh, effectiveness. And I, I think about I was, uh, watching a documentary about uh, redundancy in nature and how nature never ties itself too tightly into a corner through the kind of ins and outs of evolution, really, because it's a messy process. It never or rarely gets to the point where it doesn't have some like wiggle room of where to go. And systems become over-efficient. They kind of end up often um, shooting themselves in the foot in some ways because they're not as effective. But that wasn't my main one. My main one was here in the sense of and I think Iron Man is a great example of the Marvel superheroes because if you think of the heroes of the traditional era that are the ones that support their community and come and build there's a bit of that in the Marvel superheroes but they're much more about the the big man who saves the day and, and has that special thing that nobody else has and um, yeah and the competition of the heroes good against evil and the strongest hero will win um, yeah very interesting Dwayne I'm going to jump in there and I, I also did like the hero and it's interesting because I'm going to go back to the traditional and you know traditionally the teachers at the front because they have all the knowledge however when you go to the next kind of school is you think about the hero and and why are they the hero they're the hero because they're very efficient they know what they're doing they sell themselves the best and so we must all listen to them because they have the best uh, system and the best way of education that is going to be efficient meaning you will learn faster so the hero thing is really important i think and it i kind of go to that leadership bit is a lot of leaders are very charismatic and they they sell themselves as being very good at what they do Thank you. And Dwayne, can I invite you to share your list of 10 from the mainstream? Okay, I will. So the first one I have is open. So the idea is at least it's giving the image of being open. You know, when this kind of education is giving more choice. Number two is capitalism. You know, it, it is pretty much based on capitalism. It's like you're, you get ahead by what you do. Number three is difference. So difference is okay. You know, the whole idea is we want to support everybody and we want to promote that difference is okay. And then that goes on to number four. I put character education, but I kind of changed it to me 
So it's going from that kind of group think to really focusing on the individual. And, and that can be negative and positive, right? So the me can be, I'm going to think about me and think about what will make me be a better student, but also what can I do to make the world a better place? And from that, number five, I was talking about the social emotional. It kind of focuses more on that social emotional aspect. But it's okay to not just be thinking about the academics. It's okay to think about how are you feeling? And then from that, I talk about choice. So the idea is that there is choice. It's not unlimited, but you're given more choice. And therefore, with these choices, you can go in a direction you feel fits you best. The other one is skills. So the idea that we're looking at promoting these skills to learn and that it's not really about that list of content. So we're trying to really promote that, hey, if I have these skills, I can go out. And if I want to, I can go in this direction and if I or that direction, but I can learn what I need on my own to support myself. And then number eight is uh, agency. So the idea of moving towards student agency, where students do have some control, not all of the control. And going back to that capitalism one is... Uh, flexible rules. So the idea is, I'm thinking about some of the students I've had over time, and, and they know the system so well that they're able to play the system, right? They can bend the rules just enough that they can have a little bit of fun or get what they want, but not enough that they know there's going to be some dire consequences to go with it. And then the final one is just time, being given more time to do things. And that's my list. So I can go back to it again if you would like me to read them out. So open, capitalism, difference, character education or the me, social emotional, choice, skills, agency, flexible rules, and time. I'm taking choice paired up with flexible rules. This idea in the mainstream, Miriam alluded to it, as long as it's not illegal. It's like, what are all of our options on the table here? And what makes sense to us? I'm going to choose my own path here. Uh, Brendan. So it's really interesting that the, the, the words that you brought up there, Dwayne, and we've talked about of choice and agency. They are available in the wider school and, and for us in leadership or whatever, or even in your classroom, they are. But we've tussled with this, myself and Rob, because again, that, that kind of deal with the devil that mainstream school has chosen is efficiency as well as that effectiveness. So there's the, the choice for students is only really small. I mean, as you get older, there's more and more paths you can choose. But in, in primary and even middle school, there's not a lot of choice for students. So this is a really interesting one for me at this level. And it becomes... This uh, this paradigm, and then it becomes much more uh, important on a student level uh, later on. So the idea of agency and choice in mainstream school versus progressive school is a really knotty and thorny problem that uh, myself and Rob will be trying to unpack for the next several years. And Miriam, which one jumped out to you from Dwayne's list? I just loved agency. That just feels um, self-empowering and um, I, and probably summarizes so nicely for me the, the, the kind of restrictions that are lifted when you when you leave the traditional environment. Cool. Thank you. All right, Brendan. I believe you're the last one. Your 10 things for the mainstream orange-leaning world. Yes. Um, assess. Assessment comes in and it goes hand in hand with the second one of accountability. So especially for teachers and in schools, we make a measurable uh, assessment of progress. 
and we're held accountable in many ways. We hold students accountable and things uh, that have emerged uh, within the system, such as um, standardized testing and, and uh, school league tables. Everybody's favorite things from England are all uh, ways to hold accountable uh, people within the system. But in many ways, it's a super positive thing because it means that you do have to bring what my third one is, evidence to show that progress is being made. It's no longer just a moral conviction or a gut feeling or a rule of thumb that we, we want to see it. Now, of course, the game then begins of how, <laughs> of how that evidence is presented. Um, credential is my fourth one. When we had the chat with uh, David Labrie, uh, all those while back in he, uh, that while back and he was really pointing out how credentialism wags the dog uh, from his perspective. And uh, I know I use that term a lot, but uh, it basically means if you're new and you haven't heard me <laughs> say that before, one thing within the uh, within the the system or the environment that that affects everything else disproportionately. And so credentials within school. As much as they help us to see where we're at in progress, they can also have a negative effect. Growth mindset is uh, is another one. So this is uh, this emerged from uh, Carol Dweck, um, and the idea that we can grow, and that in a traditional school maybe the idea is more fixed. There is one way to do things, whereas in a mainstream school, your strategy, as Miriam said, your strategy for addressing. Um, your goals is really important and being able to adapt and grow into those strategies is really key. I have uh, two buzzwords of gamification and edutainment that I'll throw in there. Making it into a game, making it fun, kind of like what we've done here. We could have just read our lists. Gamification can be cool. It can be fun. It can be motivating, but it can also be very distracting from the content of what you're trying to do. And edutainment, hey, it's okay. We give you a multiplication quiz as long as there's a dancing frog on it. Um, <laughs> that's good learning. Um, differentiation, it's key. Yeah, you, you are special. You are different. And again, it's that compromise. You're inside a school system, but yeah, you're different. And we're going to support you where you're at in our best scenario. Ladder, it's a meritocracy. And it's, if you uh, believe the hype, it's a meritocracy. And you can climb that ladder based on your own skills and your own strengths. Um, curriculum, you know, a very common word that we say over and over again, but it's key to just, you know, everything's written down. And those things then inform what's in the classroom and how we assess. So curriculum in, in its written form, but also its taught and lived form is key to organizing the structure of mainstream school. And that comes into the last one of standardized. You know, we want to have our criteria. We want to agree on the rules of the game. And we want to make sure that everybody knows that this running race goes from here to here. And we're going to time you in this way. And here is how you win and how you succeed. So that is assess, accountability, credential, growth mindset, evidence, gamification, and edutainment, differentiation, ladder, curriculum, and standardized. Do your worst or your best. You can do it. I'll go with differentiation as the one that jumps out to me the most because I do feel it's the one word that ties together all four of our lists the most. The idea that you are an individual and that things can be different for you and that one certain way of changing the rules or the content or the process, the product, whatever, might be the thing that's best for all 
all of us and for your success, your achievement, all of these kinds of things. Miriam, what word jumped out to you from Brennan's list? Actually, it was it wasn't on a list that you read out last, but it was the word meritocracy, and that feels very personal because um, you know when when we're having political discussions with my parents, and I, I remember at some point they were politically active. We were saying, well, maybe we just don't go vote. And they said, you have no idea, kids. Your great-grandparents were ready to be killed for the right to vote. So this, you know, the meritocracy that they were basically um, masters of our own fate feel, just feels in my like family lineage very um, acute to me. So just thank you for saying that word. It was important to be brought back into my mind. And Dwayne? I am going to go with the gamification and I'm going to connect that to curriculum. And I was just thinking, it reminds me of, I was reading a book on game theory. The idea that you want to know how the game is played and the rules are the curriculum. And if you can play this game and know the rules, you don't actually really have to learn much. You just learn just enough to get you that certificate. And I think that gamification and people gaming the system is, you know... It's not a great thing, but I guess if kids understand the system and they can move to the next step, that hopefully they have a bit of choice in that next step. I kind of like that idea. Thank you. I will take a stab at uh, discussing my 10 words for the progressive uh, approach to school. And we're characterizing that by the relationship of the counselor and the counseled. So to continue my theme of having gone from doing in traditional to learning to in mainstream, in progressive, I'm going to go with the word pronouns for he's, she's, there. So we move from this idea of we to the students are to now down actually discussing students on an individual by individual basis uh, in terms of discussing what their education looks like, what they're working on, their achievements their progress, their goals, all of these sorts of things. So he, she's, there, whatever set of pronouns. Second, authentic. So not only do should things not be wasteful or whatever, now they have to be authentic. So anything that is not authentic is now the litmus test for if it should be happening or not interesting or engaging or any other set of synonyms for that. What we're doing needs to be interesting, engaging, purposeful, um, not only for the individual, but also relevant to the larger group that that individual is a part of. Easing. So if mainstream had overwhelmed the idea of easing into things, giving things their time to breathe, the space that's necessary for something to happen, not this idea of, you could argue this might be that green sheen we talk about, the idea of, hey, you need to come up with something meaningful and have it done by next Tuesday. And today this is due and tomorrow that's due. The idea that maybe there are longer arcs that can't be condensed into shorter times of shorter times. So that idea of breathing or easing into things. Sharing. So no longer are we advertising or defending, but this idea of we are sharing what we're up to, uh, sharing the results of things, sharing what we have created, and the idea that things can be co-created between us. Moving from what's next in the mainstream, I'm saying with progressive, what's now? So what's relevant now? And maybe that's different than when we started two weeks ago. And maybe we don't have to follow through on that plan that two weeks ago seemed like the thing we had to do. And it's not about the smart goal that we're going to achieve, the idea of what is relevant to us now. Host, and I'm going to go back to something uh, Armin Sieber uh, described in, in his explaining of parent-teacher interviews at his school, the idea that the student was in charge of the, the interview, and they prepared the students that the first
first thing that the students would say to the parents was still or sparkling water. And this idea that there was this structure to invite parents, invite others into the school and to be their own personal hosts to share what they've been doing. Uh, and that idea that also that anyone, but in particular students can actually be hosts or representatives of the school. Connected to that, the idea of an event. And actually originally Brennan and I, we used uh, instead of counselor canceled this idea of like sort of an event planner being the progressive model, the idea that the teacher and student work together to create the events that are of importance or authenticity to the student. Uh, so this idea of making things into an event, some kind of authentic end point. And then finally, the idea of extension. So the things that you are doing are connected to each other and are extending or building on each other. And things are not happening in isolation or in one subject or for one specific context, but the idea of connection or extension outwards into the larger community um, and beyond the walls of the, the school, whether it's digital or physical. So back through my list of my 10 things for the progressive counselor counseled, uh, the idea of the pronouns, so that specific language of he's, she's, they are, um, authentic, trusting, interesting, easing, sharing, now, host, event, and extension. Brendan, which one's jumped out? to you there? I think the biggest shift is now. What's important is now. We've talked a lot about in traditional education, what happened, what's important is what we do, you know, what has always been done. And in mainstream, it's kind of a lot of it, especially in school, we talk about it's prep for the future or the next step of school. And that's why it makes it really difficult as an inquiry-based educator to to marry up this idea of what's important now with what's important for the future and this delicate balance between you know how do we and we've had this discussion many times how do we balance with what's important socially emotionally academically personally to students right now in this moment but what do we also need to keep building for next week next month next year and so i think that's key the idea of the eternal now thank you Dwayne. I really like the now. And uh, the big part of that is living in the now. Because I think I always talk to uh, teachers and, and so myself too as a leader thinking about, okay, this is the year. This is how it's going to plan out. I need to get this done at this time, this done at this time, this done at this time. And I really don't get a lot of time to think about the now and celebrate the now. And I think that teachers and maybe students too, as they're thinking about the future too much, whereas they're like, okay, what's next? I got to learn this. But in the if they take some time and they have the ability to enjoy the now, I think they can decide, well, now what's next for me? Not what's next because this is what my parents want, or this is what my teacher wants. This is what I want. But I have that freedom of choice. Thank you. And Miriam? For me, it's extension. The, you know, kind of taking the system to the, to the next level and including the kind of less obvious um, elements into it. So that was uh, such a nice, expansive feeling. Yeah. Yeah. The idea that there's real growth. It's not a maintaining and it's not a climbing, but like an, a horizontal shift or exhale kind of a thing. Thank you. Uh, I haven't kept track of who was going first and all that, but I feel Dwayne hasn't had the chance to go second yet. So Dwayne, can you share your list of 10? I can. And so my I was kind of thinking about the Sudbury model when I was really trying to, what is a really progressive school? I'm like, I don't really know because I've never been in one. 
And I've listened to a lot of your uh, podcasts and I've been trying to picture in my mind what that would look like. So I'm going to go with first one is free. Number two would be real choice. So, you know, I picked choice in the beginning, but this is real choice. They actually get to decide what they're doing. Number three is natural. It's naturally what I feel is important to me right now. Number four is creation. So the ability to create what I want in the way that I think it's important. Um, Number five, student-centered. And I am repeating some of the, like, going to the agency bit, but what I mean here is it's really student-centered. So that's student gets to make the choice. And then number six is going back to the student again is kind of student has control. They have control of the schedules. They have control of what their day looks like. And then number seven is honest. This is what you see. This is what you get. We have the ability to be honest. If I'm feeling bad, I feel bad. And I can tell you I'm feeling bad. And maybe I can't explain it, but I'm going to try to. Number eight is co-op or group. Number nine is feeling. A lot of this is centered on how I feel. And it's okay to honor my feelings. And number 10 as a leader, because I was thinking about what it would be like to be a leader of a school like this, and it's probably pretty unpredictable. I think you have to be able to let go and trust in the system. Thank you. I'm going to pick up from there and say the one that jumped out to me the most was actually you saying that let go. The word I was going to respond to was that idea of creation. So this idea of like letting go of things, allowing that unpredictability, and creating something that wasn't there at the start. It's not the pre-established measures Brendan spoke about in the mainstream. It's not the lineage Miriam spoke about. It's like there's a chance that this is actually a system and structure designed to create something new. Uh, Brendan. So I always go back to my university education because it was it was really shaped how I think about education and I went through a mainstream school and I did okay as as most people end up as teachers you know you have to do at least okay uh, really but it was only when I got into my university and I studied uh, visual arts and so you know it was this brand new idea of the the tutor you would only see them once every two or three weeks and they would drop by and it would be like a conversation about what is your, your what is your art where is it coming from how are you progressing and it was real freedom real choice and from from that that did allow you to be more honest and it did allow for that expansion because there you were kind of building your your own rules your own framework and they were adaptable and flexible for you in the moment and um, and that's how it always were allowed me to come into teaching from a very different angle from a lot of people and so i always felt i was you know, able to have that discussion from that perspective a, a little more. And uh, that was very frustrating in some schools I've taught in, especially in, you know, when I was teaching the SATs here in, in England and it was all based on tests. But, um, you know, once I moved into an IB system, of course, there's still challenges and stresses there, but there there's definitely a lot more consideration given to that idea of, of honesty and choice and freedom. Cool. And Miriam? Yeah, for me, it was the unpredictability, the not knowing and just the only choice you have is trusting the system that those around you and you yourself, you, you're going to make it work, which is to me getting rid of a lot of the illusions of the earlier stages and, and just accepting the complexity. Yeah, actually acknowledging <laughs> the, uh, the complexity. And I like that use of the word illusions of like shared agreements of upholding these things. Miriam? 
Could we hear your list of 10 progressive green leaning counselor counseled words? Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, they, they are, you know, my experience is that um, the, the kind of mainstream is suppressing a lot of this, the unhealthy stuff that may have occurred in lives earlier. And then when we're going into the, into the progressive, a lot of the old stuff comes up. And, and so that is not necessarily healthy. And that is reflected in my list, I think. So the first one is equality, that we, that we start out from a belief that we're kind of all equal. And we're also um, non-linear in the way we approach things. So every approach is, is okay and can branch out into, into different disciplines. Um, another one is activism, um, which can be um, really healthy and really unhealthy. So I feel a lot of anger in, in the progressive uh, kind of um, communities, righteous anger about certain things. And, um, and so for me, there, there probably is something from, from the traditional moments popping up there, which makes it quite unhealthy. Then the, um, the importance of feeling of also feeling good, I think that sometimes is really limiting there. That we have, we're not only we're feeling, but we want to feel good, and everything that makes me feel bad is bad. Um, but then, what I really, really like about it is that we're not talking about objectives and strategy, but the, the conversation is way more around sense and purpose. And um, and one thing that is for me connected is overwhelm, which for me comes from taking in so many things, um, getting informed by so many things, caring about so many things. And my my purpose is so quickly getting so big um, that I can get overwhelmed by the size of the task. Um, another one is inclusion. Let's include everyone. Um, let's not make anyone an outsider. And one that I'm I'm not, you know, that I'm struggling with is psychological safety. So, in, um, um, and the next one is vulnerability. So it's okay to be vulnerable. And then we have an, and, and in order to keep feeling good while we're vulnerable, it all needs to be very psychologically safe, which I think is a, is a, is a double bind that can, can pretty much, um, yeah, be unproductive. And the last one for me is it, the rescuer, the, the person, you know, it's, kind of a hero but an involved an evolved hero where it's not about winning the war but it's about rescuing the victim which is idealized um and that's those are my 10 equality non-linear activism feeling sense and purpose overwhelm inclusion psychological safety vulnerable and rescuer i love your use of rescuer because that connects back to the one other thing i wanted to that i really resonated with that idea of activism or the anger against something and i find and this is not to be dismissive but i have found in the explaining or i guess the marketing of what some progressive schools offer as a opposed to focusing on what they actually do offer, there's more emphasis on what they distance themselves from. So like, hey, you don't like the high stress standardization reductionism thing of mainstream. We don't do that. You don't like the boring lecture, blind authority thing of traditional. We don't do that. And this idea of like, we're going to rescue you from the bathwater of these previous two approaches to school. And we're going to save you from having the boredom, the monotony, the, the oppression of those things and offer you something that doesn't have that. 
Um, and I think to actually uphold that will be impressive, but I just, I find that's often the way the discussion is framed around this. Thank you. Uh, Dwayne. Thanks. Uh, I really resonate with the vulnerability. I've read a lot of Brene Brown books and, and, you know, she does a lot of things on shame and just taking your armor off. And she's actually done a, she's doing a thing on education and trying to, I guess it's kind of a system on how teachers like a, give me a second here to collect my thoughts, if that's okay. So Brene Brown's put in this kind of box curriculum together to teach teachers how to let kids be vulnerable from a young age and connecting to that idea of not judging. So I really like the idea of how the schools let you be yourself and connecting also to the equality bit, right? So in the mainstream school, they say, oh yeah, it's okay. You can be you. But really, I don't think they're going to let you say, hey, I'm having a bad day. It's kind of like, oh, you're having a bad day. Yeah, well, we say that, but you know, you, you really need to keep that to yourself. But if you want to be really vulnerable, you've got to be in a place where everyone around you has to say, okay, that's okay. And we're not going to judge you for being you. Thank you, Dwayne. And Brendan? I would pick up on what, what Dwayne said there in, in the sense of in, in the mainstream school, I do think it's okay to be different. It's okay to have a bad day. And, you know, more and more counseling is available in mainstream schools, but still the tests at the end of the week. And uh, essentially, it's, it is a somewhat inflexible structure. And so I do think that one of the challenges for a progressive school is working within a, a more global paradigm that is more in line with the mainstream and kind of negotiating how you get that space and that freedom. What I really like, though, is the nonlinear idea, because this is just so, so hard for teachers <laughs> to get a heads around of like, OK, we know how to get you to be able to count to 10. That's great. And we know how to get you go your grammar rules. But it's like, you know, the complexity of 21st century life. And there's so many choices. And this is where one of mine that I'll get to in, in a moment about higher order thinking skills and how it's no longer really enough just to be able to comprehend and remember things. You now need to be able to apply them and analyze them and evaluate and synthesize. Those are of equal importance because the world has patterns and has rules, but it's not really linear. Thank you, Brennan. And how about you transition yourself into your list then with that lead up? I will. So here's my list. Transdisciplinary, wellness, agency, gestalt, diverse, relative, distributed, power, hot, as in higher order thinking skills and meaning. And I'll go back and explain a few of them. So transdisciplinary, one of the big changes, and we talk about in our school, the IB model, especially in primary, is what they call transdisciplinary. So the ideal thing that should be happening in the classroom is, is that it's not actually easy to tell what subject is going on because the lines between those subjects is blurred to the extent that it's a maths, but it's also art. It's got language in there and there is there's disciplinary skills within that, but it's the transdisciplinary stuff that connects and transcends and brings them together. And I remember with some of our great chats with Lenny, that was one of the things we kept centering back on as really being different about a more progressive leaning school. The ideas of wellness and the idea of psychological or emotional safety being, being core and taking time to have some wellness. And it might take a little bit longer, uh, but 
in the long run, this is better for that gestalt because the, the, the idea of all the parts coming together to make something more than the parts themselves, which is kind of the, you know, the mystery of consciousness and all of those things. We, we know all the parts, but when we stick it together, something magical kind of happens that uh, we can't really predict. Agency and choice, but as in real, true, meaningful agency uh, and choice in what you do and the effect it has on the people around you, that transformative nature of education of, uh, you know, it actually has a, a real long lasting meaning on yourself and, and the world around you. Diverse as in, yeah, truly every, everybody is different and, and that is accepted. Uh, the idea of relativity, and this is the contextual thing, there no longer uh, do you have that solid ground to stand on. And this is where, you know, some of the criticisms of postmodern thought that everything is relative, but our brains don't really work that way. We'd still anchor onto certain things. But, but things are judged a little bit more by context. Uh, distribution, as in, well, you know, this is a kind of a, you know, if the mainstream is working on a global capitalist model, and then it is the um, socialist kind of leaning models that maybe have a, a stronger connection to um, the progressive school of the egalitarian and, you know, people are sharing their, their role, sharing their responsibilities, sharing their opportunities. All the things that happened in the previous paradigms are, are now taken care of by the collective. Um, power, there's a a lot of discussions and a lot of um, uh, ideas in, in progressive education, progressive thinking center back on the relationships, the hierarchical relationships and whether they're positive and whether they are um, putting barriers in the way of us actually being honest and, and, and having meaningful education. Um, hot, higher order thinking skills. Yes, had a great discussion not too long ago with some teachers about how you know, moving a particular set of lessons and objectives up so that not only were they about comprehension, but then now they were application of that information and analysis and synthesis and evaluation and really, you know, understanding on a very deep level. And that brings to the final one of meaning. You know, it has to mean something for progressive education to really be successful. It has to have meaning to the individual and the um, and the wider context. Transdisciplinary, wellness, agency, gestalt, diverse, relative, distributed, power, higher order thinking skills, and meaning. I love me some transdisciplinary skills that hadn't come up yet. And I think that's connected to that idea of extension and synthesis and tying things together. But I am going to go with relative and this idea that each individual student's own meaning and own path is relative not only to themselves and their context, but relative to the group that they are a part of and that group's context. And again, just this idea that in mainstream, I often use this example of Ontario, where I come from, the same curriculum would be used in downtown Toronto as would be used 2,000, 3,000 kilometers away in northern Ontario in some remote fly-in community. And while, of course, there will be things relevant to both, the context of those children growing up are so dramatically different that it's tough for me to believe that a unified, standardized curriculum is actually what's most in service of both of their lived experiences and something that has the flexibility to, to bring in the relative the relativity 
of someone's personal as well as social context. Uh, I think that responsiveness, that adaptiveness is the, the really new gem there. Dwayne? I am going to go with distributed and agency for $10, please, Alex. Um, I'm going to connect to uh, the ladder of ownership. And so, you know, I think they're very connected is, uh, you know, we talk a lot about distributed leadership at our school. And, you know, the idea of letting the teachers and then letting the students decide what's best. And that's connecting to that agency. But really going up to that top rung on the ladder where we're not just, well, yeah, you know, we're going to let the kids paint this wall and then pretend that they have a bit of ownership. We really want to have the kids. How about they decide, do we need a wall? Do they they decide what do we want to build the wall out of? What color are we going to paint the wall? So really giving them that ownership. But I guess in order to have that, we really need to trust that individuals will do the best thing for themselves. Thank you. And Miriam, I guess this will be a final comment on the list. Yeah, for me, it is relativity as well, um, because it's connected to me um, for taking to take in perspective and um, in a healthy way, you know, each perspective is is okay, but maybe not relevant. And and it also speaks to my wrestle with my my own kids in a school system that you know has all all of the colors, all of the elements in them. And my kids definitely not doing all that well in a traditional system. Um, so that is just this relativity is just um, I think what's the most magnificent about progressive. Cool. Thank you. And I know we, we've we stretched a little further than maybe our scheduled time, but I'd like to invite just as a checkout to wrap this up, there's so many things that we discussed, but just before we go, uh, has there been one thing that's jumped out to you uh, as we're leaving this conversation that may be new or is something that you got from this conversation that wasn't there for you uh, when you came in? And I'll go first. I really enjoyed approaching the the same general topic, but getting our four takes on it. And although there was obviously more overlap than there was difference, uh, it really helped me to, I think, add a few more bits of vocabulary and examples and nuances towards discussing these three things that Brendan and I talk about pretty much on a daily basis with each other. But we maybe get into a bit of our own, whatever you call it, not echo chamber, but into our similar silos. And uh, Dwayne and Miriam, it was really cool to bring in your perspectives, your vocabulary around these things and your own experiences. So thanks. I feel I've got a bit wider of a of a reach on these things. Brennan? Actually, similar. You know, I went through our some of our docs and pulled out a bunch of uh, kind of words and then chose my 10 from that. But I'm amazed that most of the words that came up in the other list were not in any of the documents we've we've said so far in like 80, 120 hours of podcasting. It's, 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 it's kind of um, it's pretty it's kind of inspirational to think that you know no matter how much we're talking about this stuff there's always more kind of perspectives and, and interesting ways to dig into it so uh, yeah thanks Miriam and Dwayne and Rob for sharing those perspectives Dwayne uh, yeah, uh, thanks for uh, inviting me. Miriam, thank you uh, for being part of this. I really enjoyed uh, listening to you because uh, kind of brought me faith back to the system. You know, I've got into this idea of education because I didn't think the mainstream or the traditional is a way to go. But having these conversations, and especially having Miriam in there, because she does that corporate training and realizing, okay, this stuff does work. And that, you know, other people are thinking about this too. It's not just in elementary schools and high schools and universities. 
that there's actually the corporate uh, machine is actually thinking about how we can be better by treating each other. What's the word I'm looking for? Looking at the individual and looking at this as a free thought. Thank you. And Miriam? For me, what was really interesting uh, was being in conversation rather than just um, consuming this. So it, it led me um, to, to really scan through through aspects of my life, of my past, of my of my family, um, and I and I'm not sure there's anything specific that came out of me, but there's a it's almost like like we intensified the colors of my experience of some of that stuff, and yeah, really thanks for um, for being in conversation with three of you. I massively enjoyed it, and I'm you know knowing that there are people like you um, in the educational system is just encouraging for people like me with. Um, magnificent kids like mine we just need to find a way to get to bavaria now Mir miriam get into your <laughs> system there <laughs> well thank you so much and this is our we didn't really use this theme much or if at all through this this was our idea of a christmas party to like gather with some folks um outside of uh just being brennan and i so thanks miriam and Dwayne, and i wish you guys all the best for the holidays too thank you thanks have a great holiday everyone <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. Thank guys. you. Thank you. En enjoy the holiday and Brendan, we'll see you tomorrow. Yes. Bye. Bye. Bye.